This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Good, good, good. Uh, let me just say... I've heard that there's a, uh, a lady spa day coming up, and I just want to say the baptismal is nice and warm and ready to go for that. So um, if you guys need to use it as a hot tub, I'm just kidding. Not serious about that. Um, I I'm, was thinking this, this week, um, I, I knew I was going to be getting a workout this morning uh, with preaching and doing baptism and all. And uh, I was reminded about two years ago when I did my first baptism here. Um, it's hard to believe it's been two years, but I did my first baptism, and I had the waders on. I have a tendency when I baptize to dip too low, um, and, you know, of course, my first time baptism, baptizing, I had pants on and, and the full shebang underneath the waders, and so um, I got water. I'll slide over here. I got water just right down Main Street, and I had a I had a, a parent meeting right after that, and, uh, and so I was going to have to stand up in front of a bunch of parents and uh, when I looked like I wet my pants, and so I... Uh, I called Christina and I was like, Christina, you have got to go home and get me some, some pants. And, uh, and so she, she graciously did that. But the problem is she went home and she got me the tightest pair of khaki pants that I own. And so, uh, so I'm walking around the parent meeting basically like this because I can't. Um, but uh, but it, was, it was good. I'm, I'm very thankful for her ministry to me and, and for how, how she serves me. Um, so... Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. Um, I don't know why I get so emotional. Um, it's a good thing, though. Um, but anyway, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. And, and I want you guys to think about, kind of as we kick off this morning, who your childhood hero was. Because I know we all have them, and we all have those people that we look up to that we want to model our lives after, and we want to pattern our lives around. Um, for me, I remember being just a, a, a young guy, and watching, uh, it was at my grandmother's house, she's, she's since passed, but uh, was watching at my grandmother's house the 1997 Masters, right? And just seeing what Tiger Woods did, um, you know, setting records and, and just blowing away everybody, blowing away the competition. And, and I just really looked up to Tiger Woods. Um, didn't really know much about his personal life, but I knew that he could hit a golf ball and just respected him tremendously. And, uh, and so we all have those kind of people that we, that we look up to, that we respect, that we revere. And, uh, and then things like uh, 2009 happened. And uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the story, but let's just say that there was an upset wife, a nine iron, a broken window, a fire hydrant. Um, it was a mess, right? And eventually we come to find that, that people are people, right? And that even those people that we look up to, even those heroes of ours, have chinks in the armor. And I'm reminded uh, of, a, of a, a statement that a guy in my home church always said. And, and some of you probably have heard me say it. But that statement is this. Never be surprised when people act like people. Never be surprised when people act like people. Never a truer statement was, was spoken. I feel uh, the need to hear here to, to, to remind us all um, before we kind of get into this that we are people, right? You are a person. 
Okay, Um, because I know the tendency uh, when we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about is to deflect, is to point fingers, is to say, not me, right? And when we talk about some of these things, the thoughts that that go on in our heads, if we're honest with ourselves, is, yep, she struggles with that. Yep, he deals with that. Yep, that's how he is, right? And we like to deflect and we like to point fingers. But today is more about making sure that we aren't the people that Paul is going to describe here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's kind of like this. I don't know how many of you guys have seen the commercial. Um, it, it's, it's a nose blind commercial, right? And there, there's this car driving along, and this person um, has a bunch of dogs. And they, the dogs travel in the car all the time. And, um, and she is just completely unaware how bad her car smells, right? Because when you're around it for a long time, you just kind of become accustomed to the smell, right? You, that's just your life, and you know, it doesn't phase you, right? You're, you're, I used to be a painter, so we would paint. And I would be used to the, the fumes of paint. And then somebody else would walk in and be, man, you've been painting in here? So I think a lot of times our sin is that way. We become nose blind, right? Other people see it and it stinks to high heavens, but we're completely unaware because we've let it be brushed under the rug enough. We haven't dealt with it, right? Sometimes we're so used to our sin that we don't uh, see what other people see in us. So we are going to be... And 2 Timothy 3 this morning, uh, this is the most personal letter of Paul's letters. Uh, Paul's in prison again, and uh, he, he's nearing really the end of his life. And so what he's doing, he's writing his final charge to Timothy, his most, most beloved disciple, and he's, and he's really passing the baton one final time to Timothy. And so Paul's primary concern is to help uh, Timothy really deal with the opposition he's facing as he's trying to raise up leaders, as he's trying to make disciples in Ephesus. And um, the thing that, that I want us to notice and, and the, why I want us to look at our own lives first before we think about other people is that uh, there's significant evidence that the false teachings that, that Paul is writing about here are coming up from inside the church. Not outside the church, but, but they're, they're coming, coming up and bubbling up from the very people that Timothy is, is shepherding and overseeing. And so uh, that's an important note that I, that I just want us to get um, as we jump into the text. So look at verse 1, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to go through verse 9, and then we're going to jump into uh, the, the end of chapter 3 really briefly at the end here. So verse 1 says this. But understand this, Paul writes, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So I I love Paul. Paul is always an open and honest and very direct guy. And he gives his honest, solemn, direct warning here. And notice Paul doesn't say, watch out, difficult times may come. But he says, difficult times will come. There will come times of difficulty. So Paul is not giving a, a tornado watch here. He's giving a tornado warrant. It's coming. It's impending. Difficult times will come. Likewise, in our lives, we will face times of difficulty. There are going to be dangers, storms, stressful times for all believers. And here's the thing. Awful time, oftentimes, they will come um, at the hands of those that we live and do life with in the church every single day. People will lie. People are going to gossip. People are going to slander, Right? People will be given to anger. People are going to say untrue things. Relationships are going to be tested. They're going to be strained. And so whatever it may be, Paul says, just as sure these chains on my wrist, hard times will come. And so Paul gives Timothy a warning and he says this. 
avoid those given to ungodliness. Now, he's not talking about um, just people who, who sin occasionally, right, and, and go off into error occasionally. What he's talking about is people who are, who are habitually given over to ungodliness, who've, who've made a practice of ungodliness so much so uh, that, that, that there is no life there. And so in this text this morning, we're going to see three characteristics of ungodly examples. Three characteristics of ungodly examples. I encourage you to take notes. They're going to be up on the screen. I got, even got little nifty fill-in-the-blank things for you, so uh, if you're into that sort of thing, right? So the first thing is going to be this. People will be self-centered. People will be self-centered. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4 here. These difficult times are going to come, and they're going to come because people will be Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Can I get an amen? I'm a student pastor if you didn't know. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Raise your hand if I just described your neighbor. Just kidding. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right? Just making sure you all are on your toes and staying awake, right? Definitely don't do that, right? I encourage you to have private conversations um, when those things happen. But what I want us to notice here is that Paul brackets this list, this, this sinful list. And by the way, when you see these lists of sins, doesn't it just kick in the gut? And you just start to realize, man, this is me. This is me in a lot of areas. But he brackets this list of sinful actions with statements of love. And what Paul's doing, he's alerting Timothy to the fact that these people uh, that, that Timothy is dealing with have misdirected loves. And so we need to know this morning that our lives are spillovers of what we love. When our love for God is replaced for love with love for other things, trouble follows. And God knows that when we give our hearts to other things, bad things are going to happen. Why? Because our hearts were made to glorify him. And God has worked it in such a way that when we do that, we are at our best, we are at our most joyful, we are at our most satisfied. And so most of the sins uh, in this list, Paul can, can categorize them in one of three categories. And I'm going to share those categories with you. The first one is narcissism. Narcissism. This is the idea that it's all about me, right? I'm concerned about, number one, myself all the time. It's excessive interest in oneself. The second one, materialism. It's the idea that, that we find our fullness in material possessions and that, that physical comfort is number one for us. And physical, physical comfort is more important than the things of God. And then the last one, hedonism. Now, I have to be careful with this one because I love food. I love food that tastes good, right? But hedonism is the, the pursuit of pleasure. And we live in a culture, as you guys well know, um, that, that uh, whatever we can eat, whatever we can take, whether it's substances, whatever um, sexual activity, whatever makes us and brings us the most pleasure is what's most important. And so these sins can be broken down in these categories. And what I want to ask you guys this morning is this. What do you love? What is it that you love? I think that's the most important question. What stirs your affections? What gets you excited? 
Richard Baxter said it this way, and I, I love this quote. And it cuts directly to my heart. He says this, That which is most on your heart will be most in their ears. That which is most on your heart will be most in their, their ears. So what do you talk about the most? What do you share with others the most? What do you love? See, we have to continually check our affections as believers. We've got to take stock of where we're at with Jesus. We need to weed out those things that, that, that pull our affections away from Jesus, and we need to practice those things that stir up just a deep, deep abiding love in Christ. So maybe for you, you need to watch less TV. Maybe for you, you need to play less golf. Guilty, right? Maybe for you, you need, to, you need to set work aside a little bit. And you need to focus on your family and focus on your relationship with the Lord. We have to weed those things out. And I've found, found in my uh, very young life um, that, uh, that oftentimes when I get up in the morning, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of you, but I'm, I'm typically an early riser, and I, I go to bed late sometimes, but I'm typically an early riser. But when I, when I open up the Word and I spend time in the Word each and every morning, I've found, I've found that it sets the course for the rest of my day. And it puts me in a right frame of mind, and something about those early mornings and the Word just stirs my affections for Jesus. So find those things, cultivate those things in your life. So the first characteristic, people are going to be self-centered. The second one, their religion is going to be a sham. Their religion is a sham. Verse 5. These people are those that have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Paul says in his years of experience and wisdom, avoid such people. So what Paul's doing here is he's, he's... Warning Timothy of fakers, those that have the facade of being Christ followers, but underneath it all, their actions are void of the power of the Spirit. And really, the scriptures are full of religious showmen, are they not? I'm sure you guys can think of a few examples. In Isaiah, God delivers a strong message to the people of Judah. He called them to to wash themselves, to put away evil deeds, to repent. Why? Because they were having these big religious feasts, um, these big to-dos, prayers, worship services. But when it came to serving and defending the least of these, God said to them in Isaiah 1, verse 15, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Likewise, Jesus reserves some of his most intense words for the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind. He calls them fools. He even calls them snakes. And so Paul offers a solemn warning to Timothy. Avoid such people. Here's what I believe. I believe that in the church today, in America, we have an authenticity problem. We have a being real problem. Problem. We like in our culture to project success to others. We like to project that failure is far from us, that our lives are perfect, our lives are enjoyable, and we put on a show. And what ends up happening, sadly, is that we have to bear the weight of two different lives. The life that we have to project to others and what's really going on, our real uh, heart behind this this show that we're projecting to others. Vulnerability and honesty 
have become completely foreign to us. And we, in, in many cases, have lost a true sense of community. And instead of allowing, really, the Bible and the gospel to define our reality as sinners before a holy God, we uh, jerk the reins out of God's hands and we, we try to drive the wagon ourselves. And then, sadly, this has uh, dire ramifications for the church because then uh, people from the outside, who we're supposed to be different from, see the church... And they don't want to set foot in the church because we're fake, because we're religious showmen. So our fakeness is one of the major reasons why people refuse to set foot inside of our churches. And if I'm perfectly honest with myself, I echo Paul's sentiments and I say that I'm the chief of sinners. There are times, if I'm completely honest with you guys, that, that I feel like a complete fraud, right? Have you guys experienced this before? When you get home, Right, and you're done with work, and you're in the silence and the stillness and the peace and quiet. You think to yourself, man, I wonder when people are going to find out that this isn't really me. I wonder when people are going to find out that I'm just trying to get by, that I'm just trying to make it in this life. You guys know that, that feeling? Don't look at me spiritual. Somebody? Yeah. All right. I get that, that feeling all the time. Like, man. This is who I'm supposed to be, but, but I'm so not that. And here's the thing. It's okay. I'm reminded of Paul's words in Ephesians 4, verses 23 through 24. He says this. Paul calls us to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, being authentic means that we acknowledge our brokenness. And by God's grace, we put on the new self, and we choose to do that. Colossians 3, he mentions it again. We put on the new self, and we choose to do that every day. We make that conscious choice. Because here's the thing. Being authentic allows us to give glory to whom glory is owed. We don't have to spend our energy projecting two lives. We can just say, you know what, this is me. I'm the worst. I'm literally the worst, right? But praise God, he's the best. And I'm not him. And it allows us to be real and authentic. So here's how we live authentic lives. Just three quick subpoints here. The first thing is this, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Know where you come from and confess your brokenness. Tell others of your need for Jesus today. Tell others that you needed Jesus yesterday. Tell others that you're going to need Jesus tomorrow. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Be real. The second thing is this. Embrace tension. Embrace tension. There's tension in this life because we're going to come up, as Paul's already said, there are going to be tough times in this life. The life of faith is a painful process. There's a reason why Scripture says that narrow is the way, right? The life of faith is going to be a painful process, but remember, we're all in this journey together. And here's the thing, and and we we looked at this last week, but, but God didn't wait on us to be perfect to show us his grace. And we don't need to be wait to to wait on other people to show them grace either. Embrace the tension. And then the third thing recover with the gospel. Recover with the gospel. Every day we need to let go of ourselves more and more and cling to the cross more and more. Every day we need to die to self more and more and more. 
And this is, a, this is an active thing. We must never tire of preaching the gospel to ourselves, never tire of reminding ourselves the links that God went to to save us from our sin. We need to recover with the gospel. And lastly, the, the, the third characteristic of um, ungodly examples. Misery loves company. Misery loves company. So true, right? Misery loves company. Verses 6 through 9. See, these ungodly people, they, they suck others in with them. Verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. See, what these guys that that Paul's writing about did is that that they wormed their way into households and they preyed on the weak-hearted. They were manipulators. They sunk their claws into the weak people of society. Those people who were searching for something to to, to fill the void in their lives. And Paul gives two examples of of, of, um, guys that that, uh, dealt with Moses in Exodus chapter 7. These were the magicians um, when when they were turning the staff into a snake. And um, they they were were practicing uh, magic and dark arts, right? And Paul calls these people corrupt in mind. They're worthless in regard to the faith. Worthless. And so lastly, Paul offers this comforting reality. Their errors will eventually be exposed. God is going to preserve his truth. I want you to to, to imagine just for a second Timothy's relief here. Because here he is, he's he's facing these guys that that are pulling believers away in droves, right? He's facing them, he's, he's, he's probably taking a hit on his pride, right? Because he's working so hard for the Lord and yet these people are leaving. But as Paul reminds them, to, to be faithful, you can imagine Timothy's relief. God's going to take care of this. God's going to make it right. It's not for you to worry about. Likewise, in our current situation, what we need to do here and now is we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful to what God's called us to do. Right? We need to pursue reconciliation. We need to love others. We need to be upstanding. We need to reflect on the gospel. We need to be faithful to what he called, he's called us to do and let God deal with those who are not doing what God's called them to do. So, as we avoid ungodly examples in our lives, Paul doesn't want to leave us there, and, and I don't want to leave us there either. And so Paul says to Timothy, follow me in godliness. And Paul is saying to us, follow me as I follow Jesus, because Jesus, as we know, is the ultimate example of godliness. He's the ultimate picture of humility, integrity, and generosity. His religion was not a show, it was a demonstration of power. See, Jesus taught with authority. He walked by faith. He lived with an an eternal purpose greater than himself. His patience was unparalleled. He was the only truly innocent man that suffered a criminal's death, where he took our judgment And he gave us his righteousness. But here's the thing. We need more than an example. We need more than than just to see what Jesus did and and copy him. What we need is we need the power of the Spirit. There was a reason why he told um, the disciples to wait for the power of the Spirit in the beginning of Acts. 
because he knows that under our own strength and under our own power, we can follow that example of Jesus for just a little while, but eventually it's going to get too hard to bear. And we're going to need power, and we're going to need the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit works through the Word. So as we close, I want everyone to look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. And we're going to look at this passage, and if I'm honest with you guys, like a lot of times when I teach or when I preach, I feel like I could close every single sermon with, we need to read Scripture more. Because we don't. We don't. It is the word of life that God has given us to shape and transform our hearts and our churches and our nation. But we, we, we're lousy at reading the word of God. And so if I'm honest, I, I feel like I could end every sermon. I try not to, right, because I don't want to be a broken record. But I could end every sermon with read the word more. Read the word more. But it's not just about reading the word as we're going to see. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. He says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. If you struggle with some of these things, if you deal with inauthenticity, God's word will change that, and the Spirit will use his word to change that. But it's not just about reading to stuff our heads with head knowledge. It's not just about reading to to, to, uh, win a Bible drill, right? But it's about meditating. It's about understanding. It's about seeking truth. It's about permeating our lives with the truth of God's word. I'm reminded of a a quote from Thomas Watson. He said this. The reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. It becomes about checking a box. Okay, I've read today. I'm good to go. That's not what it's about. It's about meditating. So let me encourage you. Maybe this will help if you read a chapter in the morning. You think about just that one chapter, right? If you can't read a chapter, then just read a segment of verses. If you can't read a segment of verses, then just read one verse. Read one verse. Meditate on it throughout the day. Read it before you go to bed and think about what you read. God's word will not return void in our lives. He will use it. And it's a fearful thing to be changed. It's a fearful thing to go through uh, realizing that you have an inauthenticity problem, right? But God will carry us through. And his word will shape us. And I want everyone to know this morning that whatever you're struggling with today, it doesn't disqualify you from the love of Jesus. I want you to know that we can't out God's grace. If our sin was too much for Jesus, then Jesus would still be dead. But it's not. So often we believe the lie that we have to be perfect, that we have to have it all together before we can partake in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And I want you to know this morning that this idea is wholly untrue. Jesus loves us where he is, and he he desires that we experience the fullness of his love and grace. His life, death, resurrection prove his love for us. 
So I don't know where you're at today. Um, let me just say that, that if you um, have questions about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, um, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. I'm going to be standing down front during, during the last song. Um, but let me just say, too, if, if, if it freaks you out that you're going to have to walk forward in front of all these people, um, you can come talk to me afterwards. I'm in the office all week, um, anytime. Uh, that's the most important decision that you'll make. Likewise. Um, if you've trusted Jesus and, and you feel like that you want to make that, that commitment public uh, through baptism, invite you to come forward as well. Um, and, uh, and we're going to close in prayer and we're going to sing a song and then we'll, uh, we'll go eat some lunch. Let's pray. Father God, help us to avoid ungodly examples. Father, just as Paul encouraged Timothy to, to be watchful, we know that difficult times are going to come. And God, we know that there are going to be people that are given over to, to selfishness, to, to materialism, to, to, to uh, the pursuit of pleasures. And Father, I pray that that would not be us. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts during this time. Father, that you would give us space and be patient with us as, we, as you deal with our sin. God, that you would push us towards repentance. Father, that you would give us space to repent. And that we would love you with every fiber of our being. It's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.